Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. And now another no-brainer money-saving tip from Progressive. That doesn't sound good. Paper shredder's jammed, but I think I fixed it. Oh, well, try shredding these $50 bills then. Seems like it's working. Mm, better try another 400 bucks. Stop. Instead of using money, use regular paper. And here's a better tip from Progressive on how not to waste money. Don't pay too much for car insurance. Drivers who switch and save could save hundreds. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Potential savings will vary. Venture X from Capital One is the travel card for people always asking, Where next? You earn 10x miles on hotels and rental cars and 5x miles on flights booked through Capital One Travel and 2x miles on everything else you buy with Venture X. Plus, receive premium travel benefits like access to over 1,300 airport lounges. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Welcome to Inside the Banjoverse, a podcast exploring Roots Music's great artists. Please do rate and subscribe, it makes a huge difference, and let all your friends know to listen. This is Enda Scahill from Irish bluegrass crossover band We Banjo 3. Before you freak out, don't worry, there's actually four of us, and mostly just one banjo. That's me. Joanne O'Connor is a multi-instrumentalist, best known for her banjo playing. She's well-loved in Irish music circles because she's an extremely kind person, very, very funny, a great sense of devilment, and a devil-may-care attitude as well. I've known Joanne for many years, and we spent quite an amount of time joking and slagging about her love of polkas and slides, but we'll get into that perhaps during the interview. We're going to start with a piece of music written and performed by Joanne called The Banks of the Alahon. You're from Tournafulla in County Limerick, and I know Tournafulla because I've played down there. And it was one of the strangest places I've ever been because uh, <laughs> this is a long, long time ago, right? 20 years ago, myself and Fergal went down to play a concert and I brought Gillian uh, G- came with me, my wife. Yes. And as we drove into Tournafulla, we, we'd meet cars on the road and everyone would wave at us. <laughs> yes. And I thought we were famous. And it turns out that just 
in Tournafulla, everybody just waves at everybody when they're in the car. And they didn't know who I was at all. I was a bit disappointed. When you say that, I'm laughing because when I was doing my driving test, one of the, the, the habits that I had to try and knock out of myself in order to pass my driving test was waving at people <laughs> because we just all waved. <laughs> Imagine the imagine the driving tester is like, why are you waving at all the? <laughs> oh yes. Oh wow. So, so come um, to me. Uh, do you come from a big family then? I am the eldest of seven. Yes, and actually, uh, we were spread across twenty three years. Wow. Yeah, so it's 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 gas. My second youngest brother. I was doing my leaving cert when he was born. And then my youngest brother, I was actually gone from home and I was living in Dublin when he was born. And it's it's quite funny. Uh, <laughs> I actually had started going out with this guy right just before he was born. And I in work, I had said to them, when I get the phone call, I'll be just leaving. So I'll be taking a week off work because I need to go down and look after the younger ones uh, when my mom is in hospital. And uh, so I got the, the call. And there were no mobile phones at the time. So uh, I left word with my flatmates that if this guy called, you know, just tell him the story. And uh, anyway, I got a phone call when I was at home after my brother was born. And he said, if you didn't want to see me again, you could have just said it. But to say that your mother's had a baby and you had to go home, <laughs> he didn't believe me. <laughs> I just and I was trying to tell him, no, really, I do have a baby brother, you know. Uh, so, um, yes, it was always um, fun and games in my house and plenty of activity and plenty of music as well, because uh, we all we all played a bit of music and my parents played music and grandparents played music. So the house was always full of instruments. So we used to have great fun messing around with the, the instruments and we kind of were allowed to decide what we wanted to play ourselves. And I was always drawn to the banjo from a very, very young age. And um, I can remember, um, do you, you know Donald DeBarra, the accordion player? I, I don't. Well, Danny Barry, he'd be known as, but Donald, he would have been president of Coltis there for a while now and so on. He's a fantastic accordion player. And um, But anyway, I've known him all my life. So we were in school. I was six at the time. And it was uh, the announcement came that he was coming to teach music in the parish and in the school and I came home and I said to my mum I want to go to Danny for lessons so she said well I'll buy you a tin whistle and I said but I want to play the banjo and she says oh no but you have to start on the tin whistle and I can remember standing on the doorway I remember vividly and you know making the the motion for playing a tin whistle and going but why do I have to learn an instrument that goes like this in order to play an instrument putting my hands like the banjo that goes like this. And so I said, no, I want to start on the banjo. Now, it was too small for banjo, but we had a little banjolin at home, a little banjo mandolin. And so I started on that and uh, and went to Danny then for probably three or four years as part of a class of other instruments, you know. Um, how, so did, that's, how did you know you wanted to play the banjo? I don't know. <clears throat> you know, I don't, I, I don't know. I think my father used to kind of, mess around with the banjo bit and I, I remember we we often went to see the pecker done right because he would travel around and he was he used to play a lot in West Limerick 
Tell me, just t- t- tell a little bit about the Pecker Dunn, just for the folks that listen that wouldn't necessarily know who that is. Well, while I wouldn't know a lot about him, Mike, but he was a travelling musician and um, he came to, uh, there was a bar in Ashford in County Limerick, which he would come and play at regularly. And he, he would play on the streets. I can remember seeing him playing on the streets of Abbey Field as well. And while I didn't know him at all, but I used to be fascinated with watching him playing the banjo and I, I just liked the sound of it and also when I was very young my father had a band my mother was in the band um I grew up in a family that there was always bands my grandfather had a band back in the 60s and the 50s I have a newspaper clipping from 1962 of their Abbey dance band you know but one particular time the Furies and Davy Arthur were playing in this same venue in Ashford. So they're quite a big venue. And every week we, as a child, like at six and seven years of age, I was at gigs, you know, with my mother and other than my mother used to love going to them every weekend. But I went to see Big Tom. I went to see Philomena Begley. I went to see Roly Daniels. I went to see all these big country names as well as the, the big trad names, the Dannon and the likes. And but this particular time, the Furies and Davy Arthur came and we were going to see them. But they had some issues with their sound gear and they needed some speakers or microphones. I can't remember exactly what. And somebody said, I know the man who will provide you with whatever pieces you need. So the next thing we got the phone call and they came to our house and I can remember going... <gasps> Furies and Davy Arthur were sitting in my kitchen having tea, and Davy Arthur played um, tune on the banjo for us, you know, because my father was into the banjo too. And I remember going, Oh my God, I have Davy Arthur sitting in my kitchen playing banjo. <laughs> and I, I remember going to school and telling everybody about this. Sure, nobody had a clue who the Furies <laughs> and Davy Arthur were, you know, because they weren't as into the, the music as, as I was. And uh, they, so, yeah. Were they friendly guys? They were lovely. They were really lovely and um, dead sound, you know. And of course, I was just in awe of them. I'm sitting there and all I was doing was staring at them going, I can't believe these famous people are sitting in my kitchen, you know, Um, because we listened to them. And my mother was a fantastic singer. She had absolutely an incredible voice and she sang all their songs. So, I mean, growing up, I sang. Uh, even though singing really wasn't my thing. I didn't like it all that much, but I sang because we sang at home and we learned songs. And one of my earliest songs was Willie McBride, you know. So while others were learning Three Blind Mice and Mary Had a Little Lamb, I was learning the likes of Willie McBride and all those songs because my mum would teach them to us. Um, So I was, I suppose I said, I was very familiar with all these bands from a very, very young age and lucky enough to have been you know, brought to them and put out there and like be exposed to it, I suppose, is the word, you know. Um, so, yeah. So, um, was there a big, uh, was there a wider community of musicians then in, in Tornafulla? Oh, there was. There was. You know, you've been in Tornafulla. It's as remote as it gets. It's not really a you place. It's, it's, you, you don't know that you're there. Like it's not, you don't it, know there that isn't you're even there. a crossroads. It's no, as I say, <laughs> if you, if you blink, you'll miss it. And it's in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, growing up, uh, part of me wished I could be in the town, you know, with the townies in Abbeyfield. I'd love to have lived in the town because I felt they had 
the shops beside them. They had everything. And it wasn't until I grew up and started coming back home that I really appreciated just what actually a great little place Turner Fuller was. And when I got married and the dubs, uh, my hubby Fran from Dublin, musician as well. But when the dubs came down, they loved it. They talked about it for weeks afterwards saying, this amazing little place and this one little pub in the village that had an outdoor toilet, you know, they thought this was fantastic because they'd never experienced the remoteness of it. But growing up, you had all their, all the choices were, were music, dancing and GAA. So everybody did music, everybody danced. And I mean, everybody, every child danced from the age of four set dancing, Kaylee dancing, and then some Irish dancing too, or Shannos. And everybody played hurling. That was the, the sport that is, still is the big sport of the parish. And we all played music. So if you didn't play or dance, you were probably an outside, you know, you were on the outside looking in. So I was very lucky that way that there was a, a big love for the music in the parish. And we you know, the parish as a whole took part in things like the All-Ireland Renboy competition every year, which took place in Listowel at the Listowel races. So I can remember, and we used to take part in what was the Scoriacht, if you can remember Scoriacht, and that came along before Plerica and so on. And I can remember, I actually have a photograph which was sent to me recently where I was six and I was the youngest in the Scoriacht group when we won the Munster uh, the photograph was taken of us at Ennis, in Ennis at the Munster Scoriacht and we went on to the All-Ireland. And I was in the Wren Boys as well from the age of six. So at that point, I would have been dancing more so than playing because I wasn't yet at the point of being able to play at speed. Did the, did the, was the Wren Boys competition, was that around, it was hardly around Christmas Day, like when it's traditional? No, no. Uh, the Renboy competition was in September. So the Listowel races, which are on every September, and on the Friday night, the last day of the races, uh, oh, it's, it was just fantastic. I used to live for it. The whole town of Listowel, if you were, you I mean, you were there at the Flas. It was an amazing town when it came to atmosphere for festivals. The whole town would be alive. The big gig rig down in the square and the hall at the top of the town. I don't know if you ever remember the hall. The banjo competition was often held there, actually, at the Flas. And you'd congregate there, all the different batches, Renboy batches, and they'd come from Cavan, Mead, all over. And the committee looking after it would have the rolls, the hot rolls and the cups of soup and everyone would be, be, would be fed rolls and soup while they were getting into their Renboy gear and practising. And then when it would come to your turn to go on stage, you had your, you all had your banner. So we were the turn of all Renboys. And then each, each uh, batch would have like the, 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 the pikes, as we call them, the fork pikes and turf, which would be pounded into that and um, dripped all over with uh, petrol. So when you'd go out onto the street, that would be lit up. And on either side of your batch of Ren boys, they'd march with the lighting turf wow. up on the pike and you'd have your banner. And you'd march through the town and the crowds would be on either side and you'd play your marches as you march through the town. And then you'd march up onto the stage and you would do, uh, I think it was 20 minutes of a Renboy performance, which was a mixture of music, song, dance, storytelling. 
and you'd have a theme. So the theme really was based around Grand Boys on, on St. Stephen's Day. And you that you'd have a fire tea and a banity. So on stage you'd have your pretend fireplace and your banity and your fire. My mother was always the banity, actually, I can remember. And she'd be welcoming us all up on the stage. And um and then we'd come in to perform, just like the whole Renboy idea for St. Stephen's Day. And um so like Renboy's was a really strong tradition in Turnafolla when I was growing up. And I can remember at seven getting on my bicycle at nine o'clock, St. Stephen's morning. I, I used to prefer that to Christmas Day, St. Stephen's Day. And at the time, my cousin was playing. She was a couple of years older than me. And when I think about it, I, I would not let my seven-year-olds go off and do it. <laughs> but yes, I did it on my bicycle with my mandolin around me with the with the strap. And I would cycle. Now, if you can remember when you were in Tornafalla, when you were getting to Tornafalla, you were coming from the main road and you climbed first and then you came down into the valley for the village. And it's zigzag, d- steep roads down into the valley. Well, I would cycle down that road with me, mantling <laughs> on me, and I'd wake my cousin up. We'd have the bit of breakfast and off we'd go for the day. My parents would have no idea where I was. Nobody would have any idea. Uh, we'd be fed and watered in every house we'd go into to play our few tunes and sing our song and dance. And we wouldn't come home until probably 10 o'clock at night. So I would be cycling home in the pitch dark on my own from seven years of age. And then we'd, um, we'd, we'd either come to my house or my cousin's house and then we'd open out the bag and we'd count out all our money. <laughs> and the funny thing was, There'd be certain houses you'd go, nah, it's not worth our while going in there. And there'd be another house going, oh, no, that's the house to go into. You will always make great money in that house. They love the rent boys. And I did that every year up until, I suppose, maybe 15 or 16. Um, And then at that point, I joined... uh, I joined the bigger batches. So you'd have those who are maybe raising funds for a local charity or raising funds for the GA Club or raising funds for maybe the local hall fund or something like that. And then I'd go and we'd be on the back of a of an open truck or trailer sitting on straw bales, freezing, absolutely freezing. <laughs> and But I didn't mind. We'd go around all day and we would go to all the houses and then finish up in the pubs in the evening. And I loved every minute of us. <laughs> what did you um, do with all the money when you were six and seven? Oh, um, well, my mum would... We'd count it out and she'd make me put half of it away. She was great. She'd make me put half of it away into savings. <clears throat> so she taught me savings from a young age. And then she'd, she'd bring me to Limerick. Now, Limerick was a real treat because Limerick was 45 miles away. So when I was young and you'd know bypasses, in, you know, Rathkeel, Patrickswell, none of these towns were bypassed and it was real windy roads. It took, it took us an hour and a half to get to Limerick City, even though we lived in Limerick. And she'd bring me pennies in Limerick, she'd bring me shopping. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd be able to buy myself stuff then with the other half. And so that was a real treat for us. We'd go to the January sales. And uh, yeah, it's a... It's, uh, it's great memories. You know, I haven't thought about that in a long time, but now chatting with you about it, it's it, it, it's it's brilliant. Then when I moved to Ashburn, I was delighted to hear that the Wren boys were still going strong here in Ashburn. And um, just the one batch every year and we they would do it for charity. So immediately I 
I contacted them and I said, I'd like to come along with you. And uh, so, yeah, I went in the Rhine Boys here every year up until COVID. It, it didn't happen last year mm. now, uh, previous year. And then when I had the kids, um, as soon as Ashling, my daughter, was three, I had her out with me in the Wren Boys here. And I said, come on. And I'd dress her up and we'd go off for the day with the Wren Boys. Would you catch and an actual Wren? Yeah, no. 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 They, they do that no. in Dingle, don't they? Or they used they to do, do it in Dingle. They do, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's, uh, they're, they're sort of different traditions throughout the place. It's, it's very, very traditional in, 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 in uh, Dingle. And they're out at the crack of dawn, which was kind of the, the original tradition as well, out kind of before it gets bright. Uh, now, we were never going to get up that early. <laughs> Nine o'clock, ten o'clock was the earliest I was going to get up for it. So, um, no, we, 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 we never did that. Um, we just did the whole going around, dressing up and performing and painting the face and that. And I still, up upstairs, I have my press where all the Renboy gear sits. And then whenever I need that or be at the Renboys, which the, the Tournafulla Renboys still take part in the Renboys in Listole every year. That competition still goes on. Yeah. Um, and it's incredibly strong. And really, really still incredibly strong in West Limerick, which is fantastic because <clears throat> I think a lot of parts of the country, the tradition has started to disappear over the years. Um, but that's what's great about home. They, they still keep that tradition alive. I, th- I think it's important. It was it was a massive part of um, the tradition growing up, and I'd hate to see it die off. You know, yeah. Um, but we didn't really that? have Ren boys in Galway. We had, but we called them the Mummers. The Mummers, yeah. And there was a Mummers competition, and I had forgotten all about doing those in the kind of the fake uh, kitchen on stage, and then people would come out, and you'd have the fire and tea, and then. Uh, I'd get to do a banjo solo, you know, you'd, you'd have kind of one yeah. or two musicians and uh, I never won musician of the year. I was always very disappointed about that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, it's probably similar to Ren Boys in some way. And what way did you dress up for the mummers? Did you all dress in a similar outfit or? Yeah, but we wouldn't have done, there might only have been maybe one person that would have been in the straw the straw hat and the straw, straw hat. and they would have, they would have done the dancing, but the rest of us were just dressed in kind of old fashioned Irish yeah. gear yeah. kind of thing, and uh, you know, lepping around and dancing, and uh, but, but yeah, yeah so, all very well organised, obviously. And, I would say it, I, I think it's more or less the same as the Ren boys, and then you've the straw boys, and they, they're all pretty similar, but probably just it was just the different parts of the country, yeah. Um, called them different things, you know, um. And do you have the mummers now still in Galway? Or? I don't know. I've because I've not connected with that uh, whole world in such a long time. I'd be very okay. surprised if it's not still going in some format. Okay. As, as you said, it's brilliant for for kids, right, who are growing up playing music, and you know you need to have an outlet and something to practice for, and that's why the competitions Absolutely. and the flak yoles are great, and then something like the mummers. And I'm more than yourself now, wherever we went to, I think it was New Inn in East Galway. It was in the middle of nowhere. It was probably only 45 miles, but it seemed to take three hours to get there in a bus. To get there. And so it was this big adventure, like everyone piling yeah. on the bus and getting excited oh, about the bus. It. Sure, the bus was great. The same with us <laughs> going to Listole. That bus journey, you know, was, uh, oh, you'd live for it. And we'd, yeah. you'd play a session on the bus.
bus the whole way there and you'd play again the whole way home on the bus. Well, I've, um, uh, I've great, very fond memories of Listole because that was one of our very first flat hills when we were kids. Right. And we'd stay in Ballybunion. And then there was the straight, the straightest road in Ireland from Ballybunion into Listole. And that's right. Yeah. And that's where I won I won my first All Ireland. Oh, uh, when I was eleven, I was in Listole. So I've was a in soft spot. Yeah, yeah. And would you believe I know the Listole flowers were great. Oh, they were fantastic. But I hate it when the flower was in Listole. Okay. And the reason being was because for again, like yourself, the flower, the All Ireland flower was the big one. It was the end of the summer just before you went back to school. And it was a real adventure to go away. And we used to camp and camp at the flat. But when the flat was in Listol, we stayed at home because there was no point in us going like we could stay at home and just travel in and out to Listol. So I, I hated when it was in Listol because I didn't get that adventure of going away and camping at the All-Ireland flat, where I used to love when it was in Kilkenny and where else when I was a teenager. Uh, you see, it was in Listol for Three of the years. Probably Sligo, Actually, yeah, oh, Sligo. I absolutely loved Sligo. I think looking back, uh, and I had this conversation with um, Teresa Grady and the gang. We were all great buddies growing up. We all grew up in the same era. And we would all agree that Sligo were probably the best flas. Um, We we just had great fun. And actually, I'll give you a funny story. (laughs) You can remember the Silver Swan as it was then, the glass house now. And the Silver Swan was the place to get into when the pubs closed. And then you got to stay there all night playing music. But sometimes we'd get there and it would be closed and locked. And they wouldn't let us in. The bouncers wouldn't let you in because they had shut the doors. (laughs) And I was the skinny little one, right? (laughs) So they'd bring me down. We used to walk down along the side, along by the river. And there was a bathroom there. And they would lift me up and I, I, I would fit in that little, when I didn't fall in and break my head or crack my skull open, they would push me up and in and I would climb in that tiny window and try and maneuver my way in such a way that I didn't fall head first into the toilet. And then they would all go around the back because there was an, there was a fire door there. And uh, they'd all be there ready and waiting. And I would, and I remember the, the ballroom would be fairly dark and there'd be sessions in every corner of it, but they would have the lights down. And I would go to the fire door, open it, the alarm would go off, everyone would run in, scatter into all the corners of darkness, myself included. The bouncers would come, they'd be looking around to see how these doors opened. They would close the doors and off with them again. But we were fine, we were in. <laughs> And that was it. Then we could stay in for the night and play music until the morning. <laughs> wow. And Sligo was particularly wild. Mm-hmm. I think in comparison to a lot of the other towns, people used to say it was because you'd have a huge influx of people from Northern Ireland that would come down and they just brought an extra level of madness. Uh, madness they wouldn't make them. the trip to Listol uh, in, in the same right. numbers, you know. That's right, yeah. Um, oh, no, they were definitely the best flies for me. And Sligo, it was in Sligo for three years. That's right. And, uh, oh, God, the first year in Sligo, we camped. And actually, uh, uh, that first year, I have a funny story. <laughs> it's bringing back great memories now, actually. And uh, um, 
I was camping with the, the West Limerick gang and some of the gang from Cork. And I can remember uh, on the Sunday night, uh, yeah, on the Sunday night at about four o'clock in the morning, I was starving and I got myself a chocolate eclair, you know, those lovely eclair <laughs> pastries. And I had one. Oh, sure. Look, it was gone off. But on the that night, we got back to the campsite and I could feel my stomach going. And I spent the night throwing up into a ditch. <laughs> but the next day we were coming home and we actually, I, Con Herbert, who's a, a dear, dear friend of mine and probably plays a big part in me having continued in music to the extent that I did. <clears throat> but Con was driving and there were, um, it was Tim, Tim Collins and Mike Collins, you know, Mike Banjo Perry's brother. And uh, a number of others of us all packed into a car. When you think about it, there was probably five or six of us in the back seat. And um, so we had the trailer and the tent and all the gear was in the trailer. <clears throat> and we're, I can't remember what town we were going through, but we were going uphill. And the next thing, the wheel fell off the trailer <laughs> and started to shoot down through the town. Right. And... So Con stopped the car, everyone jumped out and they're all running down to try and grab this wheel, which is flying through the town. And I'm throwing my guts up on the, the footpath at the side of the car. <laughs> so they get the wheel back on the trailer. I finish getting sick, back into the car and off with us again for the next part of the journey. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, so, yeah, great laughs, great wow. times, you yeah. know. <laughs> Yeah, God. What would your uh, what would your kids think about all of this? Um, I've I've told them the stories. You know, they they think it's 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 great. But you know, I was always determined when I when the kids came along that I wouldn't I would bring them and I would kind of introduce them and expose them to that the fun and the crack as well as the music from a young age. So, like Ashling was three months old uh, when she went to her first Willie Clancy, and she sat through a twelve hour marathon session. And sat on Fran's lap and just clapped away. Uh, not a bother to her. She loved it from a young age. Same with Connor. I brought them to every festival. And, um, you know, you know yourself, the friendships kept a lot of us in it when we were young, you know, and making friends and just having the fun with them. Um, so I, I, I made sure that Ashton and Connor were introduced to that at a very, very young age. And they, I mean, they really missed it last summer. They're missing it again this summer. They just love when the summer would come and we'd be off to all the festivals and the flas. And I promised them then when they get a bit older that they could camp with them as well, you know. Um, so they they think the stories are hilarious and they're looking forward to when they can have their own adventures. And they, I mean, they're already having little adventures at the festivals. And and the I'm very... I'm very independent. I've always been incredibly independent and um, a bit of a rambler. So even as a child, I could take off with my dog in the morning and they wouldn't see me until nighttime. I would just disappear and go off through the fields or up the mountains. Um, and I was sort of always determined that I would do that with my own kids as well, that I would make them independent and self-sufficient and the ability to be able to go places on their own and not be afraid of us, you know. And I can remember in Milltown, the Ashing did the concertina workshop. She was seven and this was her first time doing it. And I was teaching banjo. So uh, I dropped her on the Monday morning and got her settled into concertina and off I went. And I just said to Fran, um, 
don't come for her at break or lunch. Just come and watch her and just make sure she's okay. But let her off and make friends and let her go to the shop with them and so on. And so she comes home that day and I said, how did you get on? And she goes, uh, oh, great, ma'am. I bumped into dad today at the shop, you know, and he bought us ice creams. And the next day then she goes, oh, man, you'll never guess who was walking up the street, Uncle James. And I bumped into him uh, today. So each day I had somebody different watching <laughs> out for her. But at the same time, letting her find her own way. And uh, by the next year, I she was off her own. I knew she would be okay. And uh, we'd make our arrangements where we'd meet at the end of the class and she'd be there. And um, yeah, so from there on in, she was independent out. And and I think that stands to us all growing up, you know. And I think where it really became apparent was when she went to secondary school. And she came from a class of 17 in primary school. And um, Ashling is very, you know, she's... She's happy out to stand back as well. She doesn't need to be the centre of attention or anything like that. And that's something I've always said to her. You don't need to be, you know, be your own person always. Don't run with the gang, etc. And there were a few personalities in the class that were strong and always wanted to be the centre of attention. So she went from a class of 17 to a year, her own year alone, of 180, right? And some of these others absolutely fell apart and they couldn't cope with secondary school and had a really tough time um, you know, getting getting into secondary school. But her end of first year report, uh, and she did great in her, but I couldn't even tell you the results. That'll tell you because none of it mattered. The one line or the one paragraph that mattered was what was written at the bottom by her quave Noah, and it was, Ashling hit the ground running. And that line will stay with me forever. She, she fit into secondary school like a glove, she was able, she, her ability to find her own way, follow timetable, figure out lockers, figure out how to get to classes. And her ability to make new friends was fantastic. And she just, it just worked for her big time. And when I saw that, hit the ground running. And that's when we said, that's now where hmm. the music, the independence that comes with it, being out there, that's where it really stood to her. Because second, going from primary to secondary was just a walk in the park for her, you know, and uh, and I'm grateful for that, mm. you know. I love um, I love that because I would have seen that over the years with all like no more than yourself, all the buddies that you would have met mm. through the Willie Clancy week and through the Flas and the experience that they had and the freedom that you talk about there going to the flak hole and or you know going into going into Milltown Malbay at noon and coming home at four o'clock in the morning uh, as as a teenager. And then you'd come home to your buddies that were in school and didn't do any of that stuff for the summer. And you're like, oh, my God, my life experience is just incredible because the things you see in Milltown Malby at three o'clock in the morning. Um. <laughs> and I can remember thumbing, I, uh, thumbing like and I would not in a million years let my daughter thumb now, you know, but I used to thumb from Milltown out to Mullock. You know, come seven or eight, eight, nine o'clock in the evening, it was time to go to Mullock for the session. And you'd come out to Mullock, somebody would pick you up and throw. I, I can remember going in the boot of a car to Mullock on occasions because there was no room in the car. And uh, and then you, three o'clock in the morning, you would either thumb onto Coor, where the session would continue, or you would thumb back into Milton. <laughs> it was great. And like, I, I thumbed 
I come to Willie Clancy Week from West Limerick and my mother would drop me to Devon Road, cross the main road and banjo with me and my bag and let me off to thumb and I and I might get a, a lift as far as Limerick City and then I'd have to try and thumb around Limerick City to get out onto the Clare Road. <laughs> and then and the great thing was once you passed Limerick, you almost always got a lift to Milton Malbay because the minute they saw the instrument, anybody who was travelling to the festival would pick you up. Um and if you got as far as Ennis, you were guaranteed a lift because again anybody on that road from Ennis, they were going to Willie Clancy Week and they always gave you a lift. But I actually, myself and um, Sheila Meany, actually, a great friend of mine from Ennis, Fiddle Bear. And uh, one particular time we were thumbing from Ennis, <laughs> the Krusties, as we call them. <laughs> <laughs> they used to be big into it. They were always in Milltown Malby at the time. So we got into their lovely kind of Volkswagen converted van we thought this was brilliant by the time we got to Milltown well my head was spinning (laughs) because they were smoking all around them in the van and we were we ended up inhaling it so by the time we got to Milltown we were as merry as anything you know and just uh I don't think I would let my daughter do that now (laughs) but uh yeah they were like um, yeah, they were all uh, they, uh, all great times. And like that, you're talking about the buddies. And you might not see some of those friends since Milltown the previous year. And you'd fit right back in. It's like, it's, it's like only a couple of days have passed and not a whole year. And that's what I loved as well. And that's what I still love today about the music friends is it doesn't matter if you don't see each other for ages. That friendship is... It's a different kind of friendship and it's a really strong friendship. Um, and like you said, my friends in school, and you know, they weren't involved. They they didn't get that. They, they couldn't understand that. And I can remember in secondary school, the Christmas concert or there might be something for St. Patrick's Day and I'd be going in with my banjo. And uh, some of them would be, you know, smart and be slagging me off. I mean, I was called sissy for you know, playing trad music. And I was lucky in that I never let it bother me because I could see the bigger picture. And I I always knew that at the end of the day, I was the lucky one to be playing the trad music, you know. So it, it never got to me. And I can remember then in, I don't know, what it, one of the, it was my first trip abroad and uh, I was 14 and I was asked to go as part of the Irish group. We were representing Ireland at the International Youth Festival, which was taking place in a place called Inverness in the Highlands of Scotland. One of the most amazing places I've ever been in my life. And I would probably say it was still my favourite trip because it was my first one. And the fun we had on the crack. Um, but I can remember the teacher, I think it was an Irish class, asking, um, so what are you all doing for the summer? And... One would say, well, we're making the hay and uh, we're going to the bog to do the turf. And I got a job in the corner shop, whatever. I said, oh, I'm going to Scotland representing (laughs) Ireland as part of the International Youth Festival uh, playing the banjo. And uh, I remember two particular girls turning around going, how did you get on that? And my answer was, I said, that's because I'm a sissy and I play trad music. (laughs) I remember getting great satisfaction out of that. You know, that's because I'm a sissy and I play trad music. Um, And so every summer, like you were, you were uh, going to the festivals, but I also was lucky enough to get a trip abroad, probably most summers, you know. 
Um, I played with a group called Planks de O'Rourke. And um, so the O'Rourke School of Dancing and then there was the band that played for them. So there would be myself, you'd have Marcus Maloney, Jerry Maloney, Rona Maloney, um, we some bios, we'd have some laugh. Um, <laughs> Ned Kelly was another one. Oh, God, Dan Bruder, uh, Kevin Murphy, uh, Donald Murphy. Like, oh, they're, they're just some of the gang. Sheila Meany, you know, Reed Meany, all of those. Um, oh, God, and many more. Mary Shannon. Um, um, myself and Mary used to normally room it together when we'd be away on the trips abroad. And... Uh, Oh, you're, you're just, just you're, you're listing out like legends of Irish oh, music there. It's, and <laughs> and uh, the fun and the stories that I could tell you. We just we had just the best of times on those trips abroad, and we played great music. We you know, um, we really had great fun with the music. But we we also uh, it just got I'm I'm really enjoying this trip down memory lane now. You know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we good times and we often did two trips away in the summer, but we always had at least one trip and we went to places like Germany, Austria, um, France. We'd go to Campere, Lorient, all these places. Um, and I can remember one time uh, we were in Salzburg in Austria and Mary Shannon and myself decided we hadn't enough money. You know, we were running out of money and we needed to make some pocket money and uh, we wanted to go busking. And we were warned, you do not go and busk in front of Mozart statue because, you know, you've they, the tourists will be wanting to take photographs and that and they won't want you disturbing them. So I remember Mary going, Mozart statue, that's the place to be. <laughs> so the two of us went off and down we sat and we bust in front of Mozart statue. And we made a load of money, a killing. And there were loads of Japanese tourists. So, of course, they wanted to take photographs and videos of us as well. And we said, yeah, no problem. Just keep throwing the money in the box. <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah. So there, gosh, yeah, good old times. What's that now? Is that, the, I, is that the late 80s, early 90s kind of thing? That was the late 80s and early 90s. And in fact, I uh, I celebrated my 21st birthday in um, in uh, Germany, in Bavaria. And uh, I remember saying, no, I don't want a 21st birthday party. I don't want to have a party. I want to go away on this trip and I want to celebrate my birthday over there. And as it turned out, one of the guys in the German one of the German groups there, and there were groups from all over the world. He was also celebrating his 18th birthday and the 18th birthday is a bigger birthday over there than the 21st. And the tradition is there's a big barrel, the wooden barrel, right, brought out and you have the the, the peg at the end of it and you get a hammer and you hammer into that peg and it knocks it off and you're ready then with the glasses to, to catch the beer and you just keep handing glasses of beer to everybody and that's the tradition so because it was my 21st they had one for me and they had one for him now here's the gas thing and I didn't even drink you know I hadn't started to drink at 21 I was 23 before I took my first drink <laughs> um, but here I was rolling out the beer to everybody and um, and I loved it. it it was the best 21st I could ever have had and they got me the German you know the, those leather German shorts and the German hat and the, the beer mug with the top on it and I still have them today 
so that was my present for my 21st from everybody at, at the festival. And I, I couldn't have asked for a better 21st. You know, yeah. I was with all my friends. We were all having great fun and, and I was playing music. You know, so um, people didn't yeah. tra- people didn't travel remotely as much at that time from Ireland. Like no, was, you didn't go on foreign holidays. So no, the, you didn't. The experience to get to do that as teenagers was incredible. To see Germany was, and Austria and Belgium and oh my goodness, yeah. it was fantastic. I I would never I would never have gotten to those countries if it wasn't for the music, and uh, and you know I was very thankful to thanks to O'Rourke, uh, Maureen O'Rourke, Maureen Nivreen and Orla Nivreen. Her, her, her daughter, who's a good friend of mine, um, they gave me just fantastic opportunities as well with that group, and and then I travelled with other groups as well. Um, so I I I count my lucky stars every day, and I and I'm looking forward to when um, my own kids can do that. Um, my daughter Ashley now is she's with the Cross Border Orchestra of Ireland uh, because she plays classical violin as well, and this was her decision. Uh, I don't know, did your did your uh, did Matthew ever sing as part of the Peace Proms concert in Galway? No. Well, you should look it up. It's absolutely fantastic. So they do concerts in the RDS in Dublin, the Liverpool Arena, um, the Belfast Arena, all these. So it's it's a youth orchestra, and you audition to get into it, and then they do concerts with, for instance, in the RDS, two and a half. Imagine this: two and a half thousand children behind them singing school children it's incredible and the great thing about this orchestra is it's not classical though you're classically trained to get in so they were doing ABBA medleys Queen medleys James Bond medleys um all the the cool stuff you know Star Wars all the all the movie themes and like um they did Riverdance actually last year so and lots fantastic music and you can imagine this full orchestra and um, Ashling did the peace proms with her school back in 2016. And the teacher, I, I work in school, so the teacher told me afterwards, she said, while the orchestra were playing and they weren't singing, everybody else was um, just chatting. And she said, Ashling kept looking down and she says, I want to be in that when I'm older. And she came home and she goes, I want to learn the, the, I want to learn the violin because I want to get into that orchestra. And I thought, yeah, grand. I said, you're on Constantine. And she was doing piano. And I said, that's enough for you at the moment. Right. You have enough going on. And she goes, no, I want to learn it. And I said, yeah, yeah. When you're older. So her communion came. And as part of her communion, uh, my father gave her 150 euro. He gave her that. And then she comes to me and she goes, now, granddad gave me this. I'm going to buy my own fiddle if you won't let me get one. And I remember going, that's my daughter. Yes. And I said, you can get one. Absolutely. The fact that she came and went, I'll buy my own one if you don't give it to me, if you don't get it for me. And she started it. uh, That was four and a half years ago. And then she auditioned and got in two years ago. So she was 12. And um, she went off. I dropped her to the airport in January of last year. She was 12. And... uh, she met the group, the orchestra, and I said goodbye to her. And off she went, off to Liverpool. And I picked her up from the airport at the end of the weekend. And she came home and uh, not a bother in her. And off she went as independent as anything. And uh, Connor, now my son, he's, uh, he decided he'd like to be part of it as well. So he's doing what's called a count 
Osin program and he's on trombone. So he's learning trombone. And uh, next year he gets into the orchestra and I'll do the very same as well. When he's heading off on his trips, I'll drop him and go about, see at the end of the weekend. And they have to make their way through the airport with others. They are staying in hotels. They have to make sure they're get up in the morning, have their food, get on that bus, get to their rehearsals, make sure they're in their gear for their orchestra on stage doing what they're supposed to. It's fantastic life lessons. Mm. Brilliant life lessons, you know. The, the trombone is going to be an absolute winner in the next Ren Boys outing. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And he's, he's, he's trying all sorts of things here on it now. He's the latest. He only started November. But he's actually, uh, he learned the A-team theme and he's currently trying the Sunday game theme, you know, for the, the GA. Um, and uh, and he's getting great fun out of it, you know. And like, he's going to love the orchestra. He's going to love being a part of that. And again, much like the trad scene, the friendships Ashley has already are just amazing. And uh, the experiences of trad. And in fact, actually, if COVID allows, she's playing in Carnegie Hall next Easter. Wow. And we'll be going over, obviously, for that. We have, I'm there going, oh, my God, all the years I'm playing. And I've never had the opportunity to play there, but I'm going to go and see you there, you know. Yeah. So hopefully Easter is all going well. Easter is when the orchestra are going to do New York. And I mean, to me, that's the ultimate, that's you know, Carnegie Hall. Um, so, yeah, it's just great experience. But, you know, like any of us, and I'm sure you've heard this yourself. Oh, you're so talented, you know, and people say, oh, you're so talented, you're all talented. And I go, yeah, we put a lot of years of hard work in to get mm. to this point. And uh, and as I say to them, you know, keep working hard, guys. You'll reap the rewards. And now as I say, there you are, you're going to be going off to New York next year. Playing. You've already done Liverpool, the RDS, Belfast Arena, and that's because of the hard work you've put in. And now you get to enjoy it, you mm. know, so... Who, uh, who are your musical heroes? Um, my musical heroes, I would say growing up at home, I was um, born, you could say, into polkas and slides, the whole sleeve local music. So Johnny Leary was, I, I absolutely loved his music. And Dennis Doody was another great musician who passed there some years back, an accordion player, not as widely known as Johnny Leary, but nevertheless, fantastic musician. Dennis McMahon was another one. And I think the reason was um, as a child and joining sessions, their, their warmth and their how inviting they were and how willing they were to play with you will always stand out for me. And I can remember at a very young age being in Milltown Malbay and playing with some people. And Dennis Doody actually came and joined me and said, oh, I'd love to play a few polkas with you. And I can remember just being absolutely blown over by this going. He actually was happy to play with me. And it was wonderful for your confidence that they they considered you worthy musicians, even at that young age. Um and I mean, as I said, I just loved all the tunes we learned initially at home were polkas and slides. Um, polka slides, jigs, hornpipes were the main tunes with very few reels played. Um, so they would have been my my heroes locally, if you like, and in the whole Sleeve Lucre region. When it comes to banjo, I can remember going to the flat, being brought 
uh, to the flat in Listowel. And Jerry Murphy, I don't know, did you know Jerry Murphy or do you know Jerry Murphy? Mm. Jerry Murphy, a fantastic banjo player from Kerry in West Limerick and would have played, would play, would have played mainly with Francis O'Connor, flute player, and um, Donny Nolan, the accordion player. So they would have been a trio and duets and so on over the years. But Jerry is a fantastic banjo player. And uh, he was competing in the All-Ireland. And we went to the senior banjo competition uh, to support him and to see him. And I can remember John Carty getting up and playing. And I just, I, I, I'll always remember sitting there and my mouth just dropped when I heard him play. And I went, oh, I want to play like him. I want to be like him. He's who I want to be like when I grow up. And I, my father used to be like the, the, the tape room. He used to be there with the tape recorder and he would tape all the banjos, competitions and so on. And uh, he loved listening back to them. And I can remember coming home and going into the room with that tape recorder. How I didn't ravel the tape is beyond me. And I rewind. And because my music teacher was Donald Barra, Danny Barry, who was an accordion player. And the one thing he said to me was, go every second go. To Thobbs, go every second go. But other than that, he, he couldn't teach me anything more. So I depended on recordings and watching other banjo players to try and learn stuff. So hold and, on, hold uh, on. Go, go every second go. That was picking that technique. That was just down, right? up, down, up, down, up. He said, just keep going down, up, down, up, down, up. You know? I love the simplicity. Go every second yeah. go. Just go every second go. That was the, I remember the words, go every second go. And I, so, and I, I, I remember going and doing that. But, um, but then listening, I, I listened and listened to John Carty and, uh, I started to try and mimic what he was doing. And another banjo player at the time who I would really consider a big influence on me, um, and he was competing at the time, he was in, he probably was under 18 maybe, was Sean Houlihan from Cork, who lives, who has lived in England for years, now back in Ireland. But I I used to record him and I, and, and I got to play with him one time, I can remember, um, at the Munster Fla. And he was so lovely and he gave me little tips and said, you know, try this and try that. And uh, and that was how I started picking up the whole banjo playing. And then, of course, Stockton's Wing were the big band of the 80s. And so and I was allowed to go and see Stockton's Wing, you know. And so, of course, Kieran Hanlon was on stage on banjo and mandolin and I would have all their um, tapes at the time, their albums. And I would listen to him. And I would try and mimic his playing. So they were probably, I would I would say John Carty was probably my the biggest one. And then um then I then actually Brian McGrath started coming a lot to West Limerick. And so I listened to him a lot and I would record him and I started to try and emulate what he was doing. And but it was difficult because the the style and the way I, I learned to play as a child was based on polkas and slides. And whereas fiddles, concertinas, accordions, and, and the real raw Schlieve Luca style, um, it's it's tied in with the dancing, right? The old style dancing, where the polkas dancers glided along the floor. None of the modern dancing where they're, you know, it's battering and it's hopping up and down, but it was a gliding and the same with the slides. And the music... That's where that style comes from. Like the music works with the dancing. And I danced polkas and slides 
as well. And um, so in playing with the, the other musicians, playing them, I would try and mimic on the banjo what they were doing. I didn't have the ability to sustain the notes. So I found ways of trying to do that. And in some way, I don't know how it happened, I developed uh, a strong upstroke to go with that whole polka and slide thing. And, uh, but then as I got older and started playing more reels, I struggled because my jigs, for instance, I would start my jigs on an upstroke. Right. Polkas, I start them on an upstroke, slides on an upstroke and the reels weren't working quite the same way for me. So I had to relearn and teach myself to play the whole opposite way, starting on the downstroke for the reel. And I found then that that worked. And uh, as a teenager, I suppose I spent a lot of time in County Clare and that. So I played a lot with Clare musicians and that definitely helped me develop my real playing. So, um so this yeah, just, so this, I, this just backs up my entire theory that polkas and slides are just really, really bad for music and the world <laughs> and the environment and no, the world economy the and world peace and everything. Yeah, stop. <laughs> That's because you don't understand them. You don't understand. I don't. Them. I don't. They, they work the opposite way around. And actually, uh, and maybe this is where the whole upstroke thing and whatever came, I don't know, but um, the in the polkas, you know, and reels and so on you're emphasizing kind of the onbeat you know most of the time and so on whereas polkas is all about the offbeat so it's mm. the complete opposite way around and that's why a lot of people say I, I can't do the polkas and I'm going but you're not concentrating on the offbeat and it, it's actually there's a knack to it it takes a time a while because it goes against what most people are playing and and I think the other thing is like it's like Donegal I suppose you know flings they have flings and mazurkas it's in their blood you know, that th- those types of tunes. And for us, I really believe the whole polka slide, it's, it's in your blood, it's, it's in your soul. And um, I think because of the dancing, I think that's what makes them so magical for us down home. It's not just about playing the tunes. It was always about the dancing and the music coming together. And you were playing to the dancing and vice versa. And you, I would sit on stage and I would watch or I'd sit in a session in the pub and they'd be dancing um, and you'd watch them dance and you would actually play to suit the footwork that they were doing at the time. Um, and, and that's how, you know, that's how the style, I suppose, really, of Steve Luker developed over the years. So it's very much. And and the thing is then, um, everybody everybody danced polkas and slides. And if you dance a Steve Luker set or any of those sets, there'd be six parts. The first four parts are polkas, always. And, and and there was like a tradition for that fourth part. That's the one where you really needed to rev it up. So you'd always be playing. You might start your polka in G and then you'd rev it up to the key of A. Or you'd bring it, come in with a polka in the key of A. But you'd always finish the polkas in the key of A. And then the dancers would go wild and you'd kind of go wild. And then it would be into the slides. So the fifth part would always be slides and then the sixth part would always be hornpipe. So you'd finish on the hornpipes. So they were the tunes that we were very used to, to playing. And then, but in a session down home, even today, and uh, um, it would be predominantly jigs, uh, polka slides, hornpipes. And you would have, you'd be, you wouldn't have very many reels. You might have a few selections of reels played in the night, 
but it would be predominantly the other tunes. Mm. Um, and I I found then when I when I go other places to play sessions initially, I just go, oh, for crying out loud, more reels. <laughs> Are they not going to play jigs? Would they not play a hornpipe? Would they not play a polka? And I found this strange initially that it was all reels and people would just play reels all night and I used to go, I'm sick of reels now. Can you just, can you please just play a different tune? You know, <laughs> now, And that hasn't changed. I love playing reels. I really do. But I still love to bring in other tunes to the sessions as well, mm. you know. Because I enjoy playing them, and I, um, um, and I, and, and I suppose it's like you love reels, um, and whatever tunes give you the most joy in physically playing them with your hands, and I suppose just the passion for them, um, and I get that with polkas and slides, hmm. you know, and jigs actually very much jigs as well. I love jigs. I play jigs all day. Yeah, I love jigs yeah. too, but I I love your explanation of polkas and slides because you okay. and I have uh, engaged in lots of slagging oh, yeah. over the years uh, <laughs> yeah. over polkas, and as I like, I you know I come from Galway and 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 not not at all from an area that had any tradition of music. And yeah. so um, and so therefore definitely no polkas. And when you begin playing loads of reels and jigs and then you meet a polka on the banjo, it's like, I don't need half of the notes. Where do they go? <laughs> and so there's a I, but your explanation of of uh, focusing on the upbeat. Yeah, I, I'm not going to embrace great polka playing anyway, but the and, next and, time and, that I'm faced with it, I'm definitely <laughs> going to try that. <laughs> and it, uh, the upbeat and filling it out with I, I don't know all the jargon I just know what I do with my left hand you would know the hammer-ons pull-offs there's all these names for them I just know what I do with the left hand to try and sustain the notes and mimic the feeling and the other thing I do um, which I, I tend to do in my reels as well is um, I I use tonal changes with my right hand, as in I, I, I use an awful lot of strong, soft, strong, soft and very soft, actually, on uh, certain strokes. And that, again, comes from the whole polkas and slides because, you know, you know, and in order to do that on the banjo, I developed ways and it was softening notes as well, right down to where you almost couldn't hear it, you know, um, and, 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 and I. I've really enjoyed doing that over the years, figuring out how to play them, you know, in a way that's um, kind of just, yeah, that, that, that keeps the passion going for them. Mm. And me, you know. Did you ever so, think about yes. ma- Did you ever think about making an album? Yes, uh, I thought about it a number of times, and uh, different things got in the way. Then the kids came along, and that got in the way, and I, I never found the time to really concentrate on it and that is probably one of the good things this uh, COVID and lockdown brought about in that I have now started working on putting stuff together and figuring out what I'd like to do because it has always been something I did want to do I had plans years ago um, but unfortunately as well uh, my health went against me over the years because uh, I got very sick when I was young and spent a lot of time in hospital um, and I have uh, illness called Crohn's disease. So that um, that took over life a lot for me as well down through the years, several operations, treatments, hospitalizations regularly. And the other thing, and uh, the part of it that probably affects me the most is my joints. 
um, I get arthritis with it. So there are times where I can't play a note and I have no power in my right hand and I try to play and the plectrum literally falls out. And at the moment, uh, when I'm playing at the moment now, uh, I can't, I, 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 I normally bend my thumb when I play and I would use my middle finger to flick that upstroke, which was pointed out to me by adults at the Willie Clancy week when I was teaching there going, what are you doing with your right hand? And I never was as aware of it before until then. And then I started to look at what I did with my right hand. But at the moment, for instance, in my right hand, my worst joints are my middle finger and they're very swollen. So that finger cannot bend. And um, as I bring the Crohn's on the control again, then that tends to kind of uh, go down. So I get it in the wrists. I get it in the joints of the fingers. Um, It affects me, my shoulders. And uh, one of the, I, I, th- I think one particular time I didn't know what was, I thought I was having a heart attack. Uh, I actually got inflammation of the joints of my chest. And uh, I, when I was into the hospital, I realized that that's what it was. So um, I've kind of battled on and off with that for years. And so I, I as I said, I, w- I could go through long stages where I would be able to, I wouldn't be able to play well. You know, I could play. Um, the other thing in, that it has affected me over the years with this is my ability to play at speed. Um, so I find I I have to play at slower, well, slower speeds. I can't play at mad fast speed like I could when I was young, you know. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that because I quite enjoy just sitting back and enjoying the pace I'm playing at. Um, and if I'm playing for a number of hours, I can build my speed up then. But they're just a few of the little things probably that have um, that have helped me back. But definitely um, I've, I've started to work on it now and uh, I'm determined to, to, to do one. I, I think it's nice. I think it would be nice to get to a stage of my life and go, well, I've done this. And, and I've composed a lot of tunes and uh, I got into, I composed a number of tunes. Um, actually, I composed a really nice box the other day. Um, which was sent to you. Um, but, um, uh, and I'd like to share those tunes as well. You know, um, I threw one of them into the flag there a few years ago and uh, won the All-Ireland, you know. So the tour of follow real. So, um, yeah, so I, I thought it would be nice to share some of those tunes out as well. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so hopefully the, the next time I see you, I might be further along the track when it comes to that. Well, there's definitely oh. space out there for a polka and slide laden <laughs> album because it's never been done on the banjo, to my knowledge. I think it'd be very That's popular. True. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there'll definitely be slides of polkas on it. Yeah. I could you've, not. You've, you've great resilience. Um, I imagine the, the, the Crohn's is, can be very hard when you're not able to play. That must take quite an emotional toll as well as physical. Um, it's, you know, I, I think I find it more frustrating than anything. I, I'm... I've I've been fortunate in that I've always had a zest for life. And, um, and, you know, I think music, music played a big part in that um, because I would always have something to look forward to in, in my music life. And I was determined that I wasn't going to have that taken away from me. And I I would find it frustrating nearly. That would be the biggest part of, of what would get me down would be frustration at the inability to be able to play at times and the frustration of maybe being too ill 
to be able to go places. Um, and I mean, I'll be honest, when I was younger, I did daft things. I did go abroad when I shouldn't. When I was one particular time I went to Germany when actually um, they they wanted me in hospital because I was so bad. And I did end up in hospital in Germany. But anyway, <laughs> but I was still determined to go and I wasn't going to miss out on that fun. Um, but, you know, when I got sick um, and I got I got sick when I was 16. And uh, they say it's a shock or a trauma to the system that can that can bring it on. Um, and that's the summer. Actually, I turned 16 in the July and that particular July, um, I would just come home from the Munster Fla and I was delighted with myself heading off to the All-Ireland, which, of course, was an enlistable. I was going to have to stay at home. But um, that particular week, I think my life changed in a way that it was never going to be the same again. And my my brother, who was um, seven, and uh, there were four of us, there were five of us at the time. And uh, my sister was a baby, but there were four of us a bit older. And I had two brothers and a sister and my brother and sister, they were very close. And then I was very close with this, with my brother, Richard. And this particular day, I was inside the window hoovering. And I could see it happening and I could do nothing about it. A car came along and he was across the road and it hit him and knocked him down. And I can honestly say it was probably the worst day of my life. Um... For a long time, it was like it was a dream. And what would I do if this ever happened? It it took a number of years before I finally realized this actually did happen. And I had to kind of deal with it then. And I ran straight out to him. Uh, I was 15. It was the week of my 16th birthday. And I ran straight out to him. And he had been taken a while back the road and had fallen and into a dike of water. And I can remember taking his head out of the water so he wouldn't drown. I remember having the know-how to feel his neck and he was breathing. There was a pulse. And my poor mum was in hysterics. And I, I remember running to the phone, ringing the doctor, ringing the ambulance and ringing the priest because that's kind of what was done, you know. And he was unconscious and... One of the unfortunate things, I suppose, back then of being so far away from the city and the hospital and the by no bypasses, it took an hour and a half before an ambulance got to us. And it was too long. And at that point, it was so he was brought to the hospital, but he died four days later and uh, was buried on my 16th birthday. So I didn't go to the flat that year. The All Ireland flag, and actually, I never competed again, um, because I think it just, it just, it, it left me with that memory, and I, I just felt I couldn't, I, I hadn't the heart to go back in again, um, but at the same time, it made me realise just how fragile life is, and like that, how quickly it can be taken away from you. And he was my best friend. You know, he was. Uh, and even though there was a big age gap between us, uh, I would have been, I would have minded him. He was, I used to nearly think of him as my own baby, you know, when we were young. And he was always on my arms and he was always with me. And, um, and I missed him terribly. And I got sick within a couple of months of that. And they reckon it was probably the trauma of that. And uh, so then I spent the next number of years 
uh, quite ill. And then at 21, I ended up being anointed and having emergency surgery. And at that point, I was down to five and a half stone with the illness and literally hospitalised. I mean, there was, I couldn't get out of the hospital bed. Um, I had not responded to any treatments, etc. And I can remember Easter Sunday morning, this consultant coming in and saying, the bowel has to go. You know, it's going to kill you if, 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 if it doesn't go. And um, I'd had a growth removed from it when I was 19. And uh, I knew then it was dodgy after that. And um, yeah, and I, at that point, I can remember lying in the bed and going, do what you have to do. I just, I just, I, I just, I haven't the energy anymore, you know. And um, I had the operation and it kind of gave me a new lease of life. And I, I kind of made the decision then, I'm going, right, I have two choices here. I give up and die or I get up and live. And uh, and I just said, no, I'm going to I'm going to get myself well. I'm going to get back out there and I'm going to live my life. And um, and it took a long time to recover. Um, I actually had to have physio to walk after it. <laughs> uh, I couldn't walk and there was nerve damage on my legs and things like that. And it took me a long time to get back. But I think I, I suppose I'm lucky is in that I, I do have that determination to just uh, survive, I suppose, and get on. It's funny, some years later, I went to Australia and um, I have abseiled off Table Mountain. I have parasailed over uh, the African Sea. Uh, I scuba dived uh, uh, in the Barrier Reef and I can't even swim. And, uh, and uh, I then I did a skydive, a 14,000 foot skydive in Australia. And I can remember somebody saying to me, are you mad? Like, you went up in that tiny plane. You could have been killed. And I said, sure, I could have died years earlier, you know? So, um, no, so I, I decided I was getting out there and I was going to try all these different things that I'd always wanted to do in life, you know? Um, so, yeah, I just, um, yeah, I suppose I'm I'm lucky that I, I, I just get back up and I get on with it again. Wow. Because yeah. you're an absolute inspiration. And you absolutely have to record an album. And I was going to say, after listening to that, I promise not to slag you off about polkas again, but I don't think I'll be able to keep uh, the promise. You couldn't rem- break that now. <laughs> that's, that's a, I mean, it's a heartbreaking, but it's a remarkable story. But your your zest for life is absolutely inspirational and deserves an album. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'll, I promise I'll even listen to it. <laughs> polkas are not... Actually, you're going to laugh. You talk about polkas, right? And you're slagging me off about polkas. Uh, and it's only actually a couple of weeks ago, last week maybe, I was chatting to uh, Trees O'Grady and uh, we were on Zoom here and we were having a, a laugh and my phone rang and I brought the phone over and I said, have a listen, Teresa, to my ringtone. And she fell around the place laughing. My ringtone for... I, you, I'd have to ask you what year now it was for whatever how many years it is is it 15 years 12 15 years has been jackson's polka 20 there 21 is it 20 years, years? 21 oh my, years well, then, this year? 
I was there said it must be definitely 15. Well, that is the ringtone on my phone. And actually, whenever I get a new phone, I download that onto it again and I set it up as my ringtone. And my friend would say to me, geez, Joanne, don't you think it's about time you change that ringtone? <laughs> and I said, no, because I'll always know my phone when it rings because nobody else will have that ringtone. And I'm so used to it, Enda, that I couldn't, I couldn't even consider changing the ringtone on my phone now. So there you are. Every day I listen to you playing a polka on my phone. That is, well, my God, that, that puts me in my place. That's fantastic. Oh, my God. Listen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Listen, it's been a pleasure talking to you and I'm, I'm oh, delighted thanks. we got to do this too. finally. And I look forward to the end of all of this when we can meet up in Milltown Malbay again. And Absolutely. We can take this out of Ken Hanlon instead of <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you loved this episode, please head over to our website, webanjo3.com, to subscribe, rate, and do leave us a review. It makes a huge difference. See you next time, Inside we want from our birth control. But what about what's in our birth control? That's why I chose the 100% hormone-free Paragard intrauterine copper contraceptive. It's the only birth control that uses just one simple active ingredient to prevent pregnancy over 99% of the time with no hormones and no daily routines. Paragard is a small IUD that prevents pregnancy for up to 10 years using copper. Ready to get what you want? Talk to your healthcare provider to see if Paragard could be right for you. Don't use if you have a pelvic infection, including PID, get infections easily, certain cancers, Wilson's disease, or a copper allergy. Pregnancy is rare but can be life-threatening and cause infertility or loss of pregnancy. Paragard may attach to or go through the uterus. Tell your healthcare provider if you miss a period, have abdominal pain, or it comes out. At first, periods may become heavier and longer with spotting in between. It won't protect against HIV or STDs. For product information or to learn more, visit Paragard.com. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never thought I'd care about gardening until I bought a house in the suburbs. But now I find myself in conversations about liquid fertilizer and I wonder, am I the fertilizer guy now? (laughs) No, no way. Everyone knows the ratio between phosphorus and nitrogen, right? Yeah, I'm still totally cool. Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers.